All kinds of different stuff. There's tons of applications. We have seen lots of people in the medical industry, obviously entertainment, restaurants, et cetera, over the last few years where they were deemed non-essential or things drastically changed. Their revenues took a massive hit and there's just nothing they could do about it. And so being able to turn to this, pull some funds back into the business and kind of make it a little bit less impactful or a little less damaging has been a game changer for a lot of our clients. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today we have on Clay Ogden from Strategic Risk Alternatives. Strategic Risk Alternatives, or SRA, is specializes in 831B plans for tax deferral today to address tomorrow's risk. It positions its clients at the forefront of their industry, allowing them to weather any storm, typically not covered by insurance. Clay can easily be described as the ace on the SRA team, so I'm super excited to have him here. And I'll just stop there and say, Clay, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Ooh. I actually tried a new one last year. 2020 kind of allowed me to try some new things. Gooey butter cake ice cream. That sounds delicious. Where did you find that? It vaulted to the top of the list immediately. There's, there's actually an ice cream place here about 15, 20 minutes from my house. It opened up in 2020. It's called Blacksmith. It's amazing. What makes it gooey? I mean, butter I get, but like, is it chocolate? Is it caramel? Is it... It's a cream cheese base ice cream. They have like chunks of gooey butter cake in there. It's so good. I don't know. It's not healthy, but it's amazing. (laughs) Well, our controversial topic that we typically cover is bowl or cone? A good waffle cone. I like it. Well, Clay, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So at SRA, we are, as you said, an 831B administrator. And honestly, we work with business owners in any and every industry you can think of allowing them to take excess profits, excess revenues out of their business, set those dollars aside into what we form for them as an 831B. It's a separate company. It's a separate entity. They're able to set these dollars aside, deduct them from their business when they do so to insure for risks that are uninsurable, uncommon, unforeseen types of events. A lot of what we've seen over the last two or three years with the pandemic has validated these programs in a huge way because traditional insurance hasn't covered a lot of the business interruption, the supply chain interruptions, the brand and reputation damages, the political risk events, all those things ultimately fall to the business owner to bear the brunt of and they just own that on their balance sheet. And if there's a way to, in good times, take a little bit off the top, set it aside for these things that can come up and have those reserves at their disposal to use to kind of make those things a little blip on the radar, that, that's really what these programs are designed to do. It's become a risk management tool first and foremost, hopefully creating some, some tax advantages while doing so. Yeah, that was a good high level. And I want to dig in here, but I got to say, like, yeah. the more I study about insurance, it's a beauty. And also there's some T's and C's in all of our insurance policies that we're not ready for. So this sounds like a perfect way to plug some of those holes. But let's start at the beginning, like 831B. Is that a tax code, I'm assuming? Or how is this different? I've also heard it called captive insurance. How is that different from that? The same thing. So captive insurance uses the 831B tax code. The 831B tax code actually started in 1986. Congress brought this forward to really help with a lot of the people that were struggling with their 
insurances, an insurance crisis in the mid to late 80s. And a lot of people couldn't get insurance for different items. One of the main things that it really helped was farmers subsidizing crop insurance. They were unable to buy crop insurance. And so uh, Congress brought forth the 831B and it allowed a business owner to take and set aside up to 1.2 million per year of funds to now manage risks. And in 2016, all of this was changed. And there was a couple revisions. One of two things that changed was the amount that could be set aside. And it moved, Congress raised it from 1.2 to 2.2 million per year with an inflation rider on it that now in 2022 sits at 2.45 million annually, right? The second thing that they changed was kids and grandkids could no longer own any part of the 831B if they don't own a piece of the operating company. Because a lot of people, it was creative and it was strategic and it was obviously an abusive scenario that they tried to clean up. But a lot of people would put kids and grandkids on as ownership and move funds from their business to their 831B and bypass the estate tax. And it became an amazing planning tool, but the IRS finally said, no more of that, right? And so those are the two things that changed over the last five or six years. It's been validated in a major, major way because lots of business owners, they would no longer exist if they didn't have an 831B turned to over the last few years. Yeah. So I think we were talking before the show, I know enough about this topic to sound really smart to somebody that knows nothing or has never heard of this, but really <laughs> stupid. So I want to ask a couple of questions here. One of them is you mentioned an insurance crisis. Like, Do you have any context around why was there an insurance crisis? Was that due to some of the inflation that we were seeing out of the late 70s or what was going on then? Anyone goes to Google and looks up 1980s insurance crisis, they're going to find tons of different scenarios of why insurance companies were raising premiums. They were restricting what they were going to cover or they were just not covering it at all anymore. This was a kind of a pivot to allowing a small to mid-market business owner to allow them to set dollars aside. This is a piece of the tax code that's been used by Fortune 500 companies, large enterprises for a long time. The auto industries honestly use this probably longer and more effectively than anybody else because you go buy a vehicle, they sell you a service contract and a warranty. And they take all of those revenues and they set them inside their own 831B. And now they use those dollars to manage claims on those service contracts and warranties. And whatever's not used, they're then borrowing from or taking dividends from to oftentimes go buy the flooring that sits on their lot rather than paying a third party 10 or 12% to do that for them. Just becomes a much more efficient way of running their business while managing their claims and their risk. Interesting. So when you say set aside money, are they putting it into your company? Are they putting it into an escrow account? Are they setting up a separate company? What does that look like? Yeah, good question. So when a client owns their own 831B, we're actually, as the admin, we're going to form that entity for them. It is a C-corp. We're going to form it. We're going to get the corporate documents, the EINs, the share certificates, everything for them. Then we're going to manage it and maintain it for them. We're going to do the returns. We're going to do the annual filings. But those funds will be paid from their business to our direct writer and then end up into their own 831B. Gotcha. And then when it's in the policy, I'm assuming it's structured something like a whole life policy where it's going to get growth. What does that look like when it's in that policy then? So a lot of the times when policies are in effect, you can invest into liquid type assets. So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, anything that can be liquidated within two to three business days. 
Once those policies expire, and all the policies are going to be a one-year calendar year or fiscal year policy, at the expiration of that, any of those funds that you contributed year one and you didn't have any claims on, they now become surplus, sitting inside your 831B still, still being deferred. And now you can use those dollars for potential shareholder loan, a potential dividend, or just simply leave it inside the 831B and invest it. Clients can go into more illiquid long-term investments after that first year. And then each year, the same progression would follow. But year one, while the policies are in place, it does need to be something that's liquid and accessible in case there's a potential claim. Gotcha. So let me try to walk through an example to see if I'm capturing this. I'm that car manufacturer and I want to do an extended warranty and I get $100,000 from that. I put $100,000 into the 831B. No one calls and gets a claim. I can use that surplus then to move it into liquid assets like stocks and bonds or illiquid assets like a real estate, or I can take a loan against the cash value of that to go put it wherever I need to go put it. Yeah. So let's say a business owner does $2 million, $3 million in gross revenues. They want to set aside, let's say 10% of that, let's call it $300,000. Once those funds go into their 831B, that first year of policies expires, they now have the ability to loan up to 65% of that and borrow it to them as the shareholder, or they can take a dividend for as little up to the entire amount. Or they have the option to just leave it inside the 831B. I didn't want it or I don't need it right now. If it was used for claims, obviously that number comes down. Let's assume that there's 250 grand in there at the end of that first year. They have their options to either invest it within there or take a loan or take a dividend. We've had clients that have gone and bought a rental property, an Airbnb. They've gone and bought a piece of land to build a new office. Or they've gone and expanded their business in a time where they thought it was a good opportunity because they had the reserve set aside to do so at that point in time. Yeah. So if I have that theoretical $100,000 in there, nobody files a claim, and I decide to go take a 65% loan on it and buy a rental property or whatever, Mm -hmm. can I then still use the remaining 45% or 35% to... Like to pay for the claims if they happen? Or would that be since the policy is done with after a year, I wouldn't be able to do that? Yeah. So the next year, if and when new premiums are put in, those premiums are going to be at risk for claims purposes. The first year of premiums that you put in, no longer at risk. They're now surplus, yours to use, whether it's investing within the 831B, dividends, loans, whatever that might be. But they're not going to be used particularly for claims happening now. That'll be what year two's premiums are for. Gotcha. So basically starting a whole new business at that point, as long as there are no claims, theoretical claims against it, then you can continue to invest and do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned 10% a few minutes ago. Is there a maximum amount of revenue that you can put in there? Or what is kind of the legal guidelines around that? Yeah. And that's kind of the interesting thing about it. There's no legal guideline, right? And so a lot of the abuses that go on in this world are We've seen clients that have put aside 35 to 70% of their gross revenue and they go to tax court and they wonder why the IRS has an issue with that. I mean, they're not managing any kind of risk at that point in time. They're just sheltering dollars, right? And so our general rule of thumb in-house is 10 to 15% of gross revenue. When this piece of the tax code started, farmers were able to set aside 10% of revenue to subsidize crop insurance. The government would pitch in an additional 10% for that 10 to 20% of gross revenue. We always try to keep our clients kind of in that window. We try to take a very conservative stance on it because we love what we do 
And we're trying to keep ourselves and our clients out of harm's way by using this tax code to manage risk. And if they get some tax benefits out of it, awesome. If they don't, that's what those dollars are set aside for is to manage risk. Am I reducing my taxable income by moving money in there? So for example, if I have a million dollars of gross revenue, then I put $200,000, 20% into this 831B plan. Essentially, I have 800,000 of taxable revenue at that point. Is that kind of how this works? Yeah. We have kind of two sets of clients, right? The business owner themselves, advisors, CPAs, anyone who works with business owners are kind of our two sets of clients, if you will. So anytime the premiums are paid, the premiums are going to be deductible to the entity that's contributing those funds in the year that they contribute them. At what level does it make sense? So for example, in my real estate portfolio, I might only be doing $100,000 of income. Most of that has some native tax advantages through just owning real estate in general. But Mm -hmm. let's say I have an Amazon business where I'm making $100,000 in revenue. At what point does it make sense to start exploring these plans from a cost perspective? I would say net of any fees on our side. If a client's going to be setting aside 75,000 in premium or more, sometimes it's like 60 grand, depends on where they're at in the country, what state they live in, that kind of stuff. But I would say net of any fees, about 75,000 a year in premiums or more, the better you put in, sometimes the better it looks and the better it works. But at the end of the day, about 75000 in premium to make it kind of make sense from a number standpoint. So I'm reducing my taxable income by $75,000 on the business at that <clears> point. <throat> and then I can take that 75000 as long as the insurable risk that I'm insuring against doesn't happen, then I can take that and continue to invest or pull it out as a dividend. Yeah. Oh, this is super interesting. So I'm sure there's some kind of guidance around like tests and things like that that the IRS looks like. I can see where this could be abused very, very quickly. Beyond the 20%, are there any kind of other tests that we can run to make sure that we're remaining compliant with the IRS in this? I mean, that's why we have our in-house rules of kind of that 10 to 15% window of gross revenues. The other kind of important aspect on our side is the 831B admin is making sure that we follow the four-part test. And anyone in our industry that doesn't talk about this, they absolutely should. It really comes down to making sure that you have a proper transfer of risk, making sure that you have a proper distribution of risk. Third one would be making sure that you have fortuitous types of risk that you're funding for. You cannot fund ordinary business risks in here. It's got to be things that happen by chance. And then the fourth one would be making sure that you're following the principles of insurance. You have properly drafted policies. You actually receive policies in general. Unfortunately, a lot of people in this space just kind of give you a piece of paper that says what's covered or what types of coverages. They don't actually give you any policy language. Proper investment of the reserves, making sure that you're utilizing the law of large numbers, all things that we do on our side. But these are things that are kind of the crux of making sure this thing works. Let's take a few of those just because I'm interested in digging in a little bit further here. When you talk about the principles of insurance, so That essentially means making sure that there is a policy that's not, we insure against pandemic, that's it kind of thing. You actually have a detailed policy. Do you all write those policies or help write policies like that for your client? Yeah, we have different legal teams we work with, different attorneys that we work with that write, to specialize in writing policy language. We have policies for custom warranties. We have policies for supply chain interruptions, cybersecurity issues. A lot of the times we see things with professional liability or maybe loss of a key employee due to an accident or illness, brand and reputation damages, 
audits, any kind of a government agency audit, all of these things can be devastating to a business if they happen or happen at the wrong time. The political risks that we've seen over the last two or three years with government bodies deciding who's an essential and a non-essential business has been crippling to a lot of industries. Those are all scenarios or policies that we issue to our clients to really help them mitigate and manage those potential issues. Gotcha. And then what does like the transfer of risk mean? That you're transferring it to the 831B plan or help us understand that a little bit more? Yeah. So kind of think of it, you've got three bubbles, right? You've got your operating company or companies. You've got the direct writer that we own and operate. And then you've got your 831B. Funds are going to be sent to our, our direct writer. And then once we receive those funds, we're sending it to the client's 831B. That direct or that transfer of risk takes place when they send those funds to our direct writer. They have no financial interest transferring it much like they would if they were paying premiums to State Farm or travelers or whomever. Gotcha. So if there's not that middle entity, the IRS would come in and say, you haven't properly transferred this risk because you're a shareholder here and a shareholder there. Potentially, yeah. That's why we structured it the way we did was to really mirror traditional insurance to make it as clean and as explainable as possible. Keeping specific names and figures and all of that out of it, do you have any examples of your clients that have used this and seen a great benefit, like maybe that you could talk (laughs) through at a high level? Yeah, we actually had a client last year file a claim because he actually was diagnosed with stage four cancer, filed a claim for loss of a key employee to an accident or illness, was able to pull those funds back into his business to find someone to replace him for about a six to eight month window while he was out kind of trying to figure out what was going to happen next. So he produced about 70% of the revenue for his company. The company would have taken a devastating hit. So he filed a claim, was able to find someone to replace him for a little bit and kind of got through it. So he set off in our theoretical example of a car warranty. He set aside money into this 831B. When he came down with this illness, he was able to pull that money back and file a claim against it use that capital to go find somebody to run the company while he kind of worked through some health issues. Yeah, exactly. And if he had specifically on this principles test, he had specifically written in their key man insurance, essentially, that he was a key operator in the business. And if anything were to happen to him, business would suffer. We've seen clients that have supply chain issues. They've had delay in getting product. They didn't get the product at all. We actually had a client just file a claim because one of his suppliers or one of those individuals buying product from it went out of business. They owed him about 200 grand. Just a cost of doing business, if you will, unless you've got policies or funds set aside to manage something like that. Because traditional insurance is not going to cover something like that. That's just yep. something you, you just eat, make the best of it, move on. Gotcha. So in this so. example, he was producing a widget some manufacturer made a key component of that widget. They went out of business, but they owed him $200,000. So we went back into the pool, filed a claim, was able to get the $200,000 back to find a different widget maker, essentially. Yeah. All kinds of different stuff. There's tons of applications. We have seen lots of people in the medical industry, obviously entertainments, restaurants, etc. over the last few years, where they were deemed non-essential or things drastically changed. Their revenues took a massive hit And there's just nothing they could do about it. And so being able to turn to this, pull some funds back into the business and kind of make it a little bit less impactful or a little less damaging has been a game changer for a lot of our clients. Yeah, this is super interesting. So let's talk through now the implications on not filing the claim. So back to our auto example, you file $100,000 
in this policy, just in case there's a warranty that no claims are asked for or claimed against. So they have this $100,000 in the policy. What happens then when they go invest that? So they go invest that in crypto and crypto goes from $100,000 to $200,000. How is that $100,000 gain taxed? So the only thing that is taxable inside the 831B is realized investment income. So when somebody has a, let's say, $100,000 increase or gain, it's going to be taxable to the 831B at corporate tax rates if it's owned within the 831B. If it's something they took a dividend for or they took a loan for and went and invested that as an individual, then obviously that's just taxable to them as an individual. Within the 831B, they can own corporate taxes on those realized investment gains. Do you all also offer tax advisory services for that scenario then? Because there's a number of different ways where my head's going on how you could even reduce your taxable burden in that situation as well. Do you help guide your clients through those sorts of situations? So a lot of the times, our clients, they have tax advisors, they have CPAs where they're kind of being discussed with us without the process. If it's something that they need, something like that, we definitely have lots of people that we can refer them to. But kind of depends on the scenario. No, that's super interesting. If your situation allows it, you could be very, very creative in the way that you're pulling that money back out after you make money in the 831B, it sounds like. For sure. I'm going to transition us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what's a book you've read recently that has given you a paradigm shift? I don't really have a favorite book. I like listening to books, especially when I drive in the car. I actually recently read Greenlight, Matthew McConaughey's book. I loved it. Did you read it or listen to it? I listened to it. Did he narrate it? Yeah, actually. I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. I haven't talked to really anybody that didn't like it yet. He's an amazing storyteller. I listened to a bunch of his podcasts as he went out and did his little book tour, podcast publicity tour and fantastic stuff. You're right. Fantastic storyteller. Great accent to listen to and some really interesting stories. Yeah, for sure. Our second question is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things that you do every day. What are some of the things that you do every day? I try to work out every day, whether that means in the gym, getting out on the golf course, yard work, whatever. I kind of need that. A little bit of clearing of the head, if you will. (laughs) 100%. It's something that from time to time, I've missed it here and there. And I noticed the difference. Completely agree. Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Different aspects of my life. I've gotten a lot of great advice. Some only apply to golf situations or the business situations or whatever. I, I would say kind of one that resonates throughout is surround yourself with successful people or people that are after the same values that you are, whether that means in business or in something you believe in or whatever, going to tend to kind of work around those that are work the way that of those that surround you. I like the values more than the success as the criteria there. Find the same people with the same values because if they have the same values, then you'll end up in the same spot. You'll take different routes, but you'll end up in the same spot. Yeah, for sure. Our fourth one is, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Oh, man. Definitely my family. I've actually got four little girls, 12, 8, 6, and 4. So yeah, I've got a lot going on there. They're a ton of fun. had the first two when I was traveling and always gone and playing golf and that kind of thing. I've had a lot of great experiences in my life, but they're right at the top. And somehow you still have hair through all of it. It's leaving quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? 
Oh man. I would say, I would like to sit down and talk with Arnold Palmer. That would be amazing. I would say Elon Musk, but I feel like that's a very controversial topic or answer right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As we're recording this, Elon Musk has just been submitted his bid to acquire Twitter. But it's funny that you say that. He's the number one person that we've had so far Is he? for that answer. Yep. He's fascinating from a lot of different standpoints. Like he's brilliant and it kind of blows my mind how his mind works. He seems to be like three steps ahead of everyone else. And a massive risk taker. So I watched a totally. uh, 60 Minutes episode on him one time that basically like it was Christmas Day and they were going to launch a SpaceX rocket. And if that rocket failed, then basically he had lost everything that he ever made for uh, PayPal. That rocket's success was going to depend whether he could get a contract with NASA and propel him forward and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy how you could make it so big, risk it all, make it so big again. And now, right as we're talking, he's in the middle of taking a $44 billion company private. It is crazy. So we're adding a sixth one here. Who's your favorite golfer? And why did you say Arnold Palmer for the ice cream? He's someone that honestly, no matter whether you're a golfer or not, you know who he is. He's had a massive impact on the sport. I mean, Tiger's had a crazy impact on the game. Don't get me wrong. From a financial standpoint, growth of the game, I don't know. Arnie, he just seems like a really cool guy. He's an, he's an icon. I mean, everyone knows him because kind of his funky swing and the colorful umbrella and just a really likable, influential guy. Yeah. I don't know anything about him. And I guess just to put some context around this, you were a former professional golfer. So <laughs> that's why all the golf analogies here at the end and yeah. we're going on this little tangent. Obviously, with my last name, I'm a terrible golfer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it fits. Yeah. Well, Clay, fantastic. I appreciated the opportunity to sit down and chat with you and learn more about 831B plans, captive insurance. This is an area that I had no idea about until we had a chance to speak and do a little bit of research on. So I appreciate the time. If our listeners wanted to learn more about what you're doing over there, how they can set up 831B plans or just get some more information, where's the best place we can point them? Go to our website, 831B.com. It's actually an amazing resource for 831B in general. Our program. It's got a ton of information on there. Obviously, you can reach out to anyone on our team through the website. There's our home phone number and then obviously everyone on our team. It's a really good resource. Perfect. We'll make sure to link all those in the show notes. And thanks again for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, sir. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.